what is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any denying obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Also, many people who do not attend church know that prayer. And they're also familiar with the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that mean? Many people believe that this petition has to do with God's sovereignty. In other words, that it has to do with God's control over all things. And that is where they can get confused and sometimes mock the Christian religion. For when something awful happens here on earth, then they will ask, do you really think that that is the will of God? When a little child dies in some horrible accident, they will ask, is it really God's will that an innocent little child like that would die in such a horrible accident? natural accidents happen, they will ask, is it really God's will that there are earthquakes and other natural disasters and that there is so much suffering and death? And what about the cruelty of man against man, such as the burning to death of millions of Jews during World War II? Is that God's will? How do we answer them? Well, perhaps you're
not that there are two wills in God. There's only one will by which he decides everything. But we have to recognize that God's will has two aspects, a concealed part and a revealed part. And this distinction is based on Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, where it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So when the catechism says, grant that we and all men may obey your will, it, be, it refers to the revealed will of God as we have it in the Bible. It cannot refer to the secret part of his will, which refers to the things that happen and that are out of our control such as the time of our death and the time or the place of an earthquake or a hurricane or tornado, etc. How can we obey God's hidden will? We can't. No, we are now especially dealing with God's revealed will. When we speak about the revealed will of the Lord, then we speak about what He wants from us. It is his will, for example, that we love him and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. It is his will that we keep his commandments. The whole Bible teaches us his will. For the whole Bible teaches us how we ought to live. We have to live according to the will of God. That's God's revelation. So we have to be careful to distinguish. We have to understand how the revealed will of God and the hidden will of God relate to each other. And only in that way will we, will we be able to be in step with God as to his plan for the whole world and for us in it. That's what I want to teach you about this afternoon. It is about the will of God in our lives. And we will first look at the immediate acceptance of God's will Secondly, the obedient living according to God's will. The Bible teaches us, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, to pray constantly. James says in chapter 5 verse 16 of his letter, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In the Bible, we also learn about the various prayers of the saints that belong to God. They prayed. They led prayerful lives. Obviously, they did not think prayer to be a useless exercise. David, he prayed fervently that the child that the Lord God had given him from the womb of Bathsheba, that that child not die. For that child had become sick. The Lord, through the mouth of Nathan the prophet, had warned him that that would happen. The Lord made this child sick because of the sin of David. For that child was born out of adultery, and the Lord wanted to punish David. Yet David still prayed. He got down on his knees. Day and night he prayed, as we read in the scriptures. He also fasted for seven days. During these circumstances, David found it extremely important to pray 
Lord his God. For he trusted that God is a God who would hear him and would be moved by his plea for mercy. This was in Hezekiah as well. He received the message that he would die. Also, Hezekiah does not passively sit back and let it happen as if prayer was not an option any longer at this point. No, he prays. He prays to the Lord that he give him healing. It's also about the prayers that are up for Peter when Herod had him put in jail with the plan to have him killed. The church at Jerusalem prayed for him. Think about Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh. We have read about that and he calls that thorn a messenger of Satan for it tormented him. Paul did not passively let that happen to him. No, he prayed to the Lord for relief from his suffering. He wanted the thorn removed. Paul was a strong believer in the power of prayer. And so were all the other saints that we just mentioned. They all knew that God listened to them and they prayed to him. They firmly believed that God hears every word. God even hears our audible cries. Unless it comes to his word. For example, in Psalm 34, verse 17, we are told the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's not like praying to a stone wall when you pray to God. No, he eagerly listens to what we have to say to him. Indeed, the Lord God also heard the prayer of Hezekiah. He restored his health. He also heard the prayer that was sent up on behalf of Peter. For Peter is rescued from prison in a most miraculous way. The Lord had compassion on Hezekiah and Peter. But that does not always mean that God will grant you your request. He is a God who will be moved, but he is also a God who is always in control. There are certain things that we ask for, but which he will not give to us, at least not in our time and not in the way that we think he should. Even though David prayed as fervently as he did, nevertheless, the Lord God did not grant him his wish. The child did die. And the same thing with Paul. Paul's thorn was not removed. God deemed it necessary for Paul to go through life with that thorn in his flesh. Even though Paul was given the power of healing when it came to others, the Lord did not give that power to Paul himself so that he could heal himself. No, the Lord God did not hear, between quotation marks, in this particular instance. Now, that's hard for some people to understand. And that's hard for us to understand, especially when it applies to ourselves. Sometimes people are confused or perhaps even angry when he does not grant our wish. We find it unjust. 
Well, that leads from that same apparent injustice is also questioned in the Bible. For example, the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes questions God in that very, God's justice in that very regard. He says in chapter 7, verse 15, that he has seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. That's the way it happens sometimes in this world. It occasionally happens that worldly people have it a lot better and live a lot longer than church-going people who can pray all the time. Young believers are prosperous. They have nice houses and nice toys, and everything seems to go well for them. And those who want to do the will of the Lord, they often struggle through life. They encounter all kinds of adversity. Indeed, that's happens. And then you may wonder, where is the Lord in all this? Why does he answer the prayer of some and not others? Doesn't he care? Is he fickle? Well, don't think for a moment that he doesn't care. Don't think for a moment that he turns a blind eye. For he sees everything and he hears everything. And he knows everything about your life and my life. There's absolutely nothing hidden from him. And every single one of you is precious in his sight. Do you not think that he did not see or hear when you were diagnosed with cancer? Do you think that he does not see or care when one of your loved ones was taken away from you? And do you think he did not see what was happening in those death camps of Auschwitz and others? He saw. And he cares. How do I know this? How can I be so sure? Well, why do you think God sent his son? Do you realize what a great act of love that was? Do you not see that God sent his son because you are hurting? Because of the awful things that do happen here on earth? He sent his son to take away your pain. He sent his son to give life, to give life to everything. He sent his son because that is the plan of God for this world, and that is his plan for you and for me, so that he can bring this world to a glorious end. That is the heavenly perspective that he wants us to have. He sent his son so that you and I could be redeemed from sin and from all the effects of sin and from all the evil that happens to you and to the rest of the world. What a tremendous act of love. And at what great cost he did so. For in order to accomplish the redemption from sin, God caused his son to be born in the flesh. He caused his son to be robbed of all the majesty and the glory that he had with him. And he made him totally poor. And then he had him ridiculed and maltreated, the son of God, and that he suffered like no man before him or after him. For here on earth his perfect son was treated as an outcast and a crook. 
the end, they nailed him to a cross. But even that was not enough. They also forsook him as he hung there on the cross. And he did it all for your sake. For my sake. Let us not forget that man, you and I, we are the ones who brought sin into this world. We are the cause of our own misery. We are the cause of all suffering. And now the Lord God, he is the one who once threw away the sin and pain and suffering. But you may say that still doesn't answer the question as to why he answered some prayers and not others. Well, let Paul answer that question. He understood very well why this prayer why his prayer was not answered. He said it was not answered so that he would not become conceited. You see, man becomes conceited when he thinks that he can do without God. When you are prosperous and enjoy good health, then you may think that you do not need God. And so Paul says that his prayer was not answered so that he could see God's power in his weakness. And that's why he says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because that's when I call upon the name of the Lord God. That's when I realize I can't do without him. That's when I realize what a wonderful plan God has for me and for his creation. For it is when we suffer, it is then that we have to turn to the Lord God. For those who know no suffering are in danger of boasting in themselves. Those unbelievers who live long and who are rich, they don't go to God for help. That's why it is so difficult nowadays to do evangelism because people are so affluent and they have such good health care. Who needs God under those circumstances? They depend on themselves. But the Lord God does not want you to do that. He wants you to turn to him in prayer. He wants us to feel his presence. He wants us to go to him for healing. Not just temporary but for total healing through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. When you are weighed down because of the adversity that strikes you, then the Lord God wants you to take stock. Why did it happen? Why is there suffering and death? And if you want that question answered on the basis of God's word, and then you can come to no other conclusion than that suffering and death came about because of sin. It's so easy for us to forget that. We become self-righteous. I don't deserve this. We think that we deserve better than we have it now. God, however, reminds us that we deserve nothing. It's all grace. None of us deserves to live. We do not deserve one moment here on this earth. But he, he sees 
must die. That's what God says in his word. And yet, we do die. And we do not just have a short life here on earth, but we are given eternal life. Eternal life is given to all those who believe that God has made all things and that he is a compassionate God. He is a loving God. They can see his hand in everything. They can see his wisdom and his greatness. And therefore, in the final analysis, we do not question his judgment. We obediently accept his will in their life. But not only must they obediently accept God's will in their lives, they must also live according to the will of God. So no, we have dealt with the hidden will of God. We have to deal with the revealed will of God. We have to deal with what he wants from us. When we read from Thessalonians, we read that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, as we said. Does he say you have to be holy, pure? That's God's will for you. Somebody who is holy is separated from sin. And Paul then continues by giving instructions as to what that holiness entails. He says, for example, that you should now also avoid sexual immorality. He says that you should be able to control your own body. That means that you do not just give in to your passions whenever feelings of lust well up in you. It's quite a statement to make nowadays. For it is the wisdom of the world that you can do nothing without that you can do nothing about controlling your passions. And for that reason you should not have to restrain yourself sexually in any way. It's impossible anyway, so the world says. We should not make young people feel guilty for having sex outside of marriage. They can't help themselves. It's cruel to teach abstinence. And yet, the Bible says differently. Brothers and sisters, it's true that it is not easy to do the will of God. It's hard. We all have experienced that in our own lives. I know I have. Over and over we fall into the same sins. The Lord God said not long after the fall into sin in Genesis 4 verse 7, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That's the way it is with us today as well. Sin is always close at hand. And that's why we sin all the time. Some Christians want to deny it. Listen to some of those preachers of Arminian persuasion, and you are told that you have to live right and that you have the ability to do so as well. And what you hear then is all very moralistic and well and good. And indeed, they will quote the Bible and as to what holy living is all about. No doubt they would quote from a chapter such as we read in 1 Thessalonians. But, brothers and sisters, there's more. Much more. You have to start from a totally biblical point of view. You have to have the right starting point. Arminian doctrine 
wants to have you start in a new name. You must be new. You must be new. You must be brought along with me. And you cannot be baptized unless you first show what you can do with regard to holy living. And so children cannot be baptized. Man is put into the center. Christ is either left out or put onto the back burner. But if that's what you think, then you are setting yourself up for failure. We are dealing with sinful human beings. Human beings fail. They fail all the time. You and I, we also fail all the time, don't we? And the people of the world, they hear all this and they see all this and they hear how those morals are propagated and they say, it's impossible. Also, the Christians are not able to live up to that ideal. And they're right. To do the will of God is extremely difficult. But it's only because we're such sinful people. And that is why when we speak about doing the will of God, we have to start not with what we have to do in the first place, but with what God has done and will do. He is the one who broke through sin and evil through his son, Jesus Christ. That's where you start. He alone is able to be holy. That is the heavenly perspective. Want to speak about doing the will of God, then you begin with the fact and with the realization that you and I are failures. It's impossible for you and me to go through any day without sin. We sin all the time. Sin is baked into us. It's part of our DNA. If you want to do the will of the Lord, then you have to realize that Christ is the one who fulfilled God's will in your stead. But do you know what happens then? Well, once you approach your holy living from that perspective, then you will want to live a life of holiness. And then your good works will also dwell up in you, which God has prepared beforehand. But let us not forget that this petition is dealt with under the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, dealing with our thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? For what Christ has done and for what Christ will do. Time and again, you have to go to that throne of grace. And that is why you pray constantly that God's will be done in your life. For then you have connected your will with the Lord's will. And then you will also have that very small beginning of obedience that God requires from you. And then you also realize that your life, everything in your life is in his hands. He is the one who controls all things. And he is the one who gives you his revealed will and he fulfilled it for you so you can lead lives of thankfulness to him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray that the Lord's will be done as it is in heaven. The 
the catechism ties that in with the angels in heaven. In heaven you also have all those who have died in the Lord. For you do not just have angels in heaven. No, also your departed loved ones who died in the Lord, they are also there in heaven. Lord's Day 16 teaches us that our death to them too sin and that it is an entrance into eternal life. All those saints, all those loved ones that you have brought from the grave, they are right there, right now, in heaven. And they sin no more. They're finished with sin. And that's also what we're looking forward to here on earth. We're looking forward to that day when there's no more sin in our lives. But as it is, we sin all the time, and therefore we continually go to that throne of grace. We ask for the forgiveness of sins, and we ask for strength to fight against our sins. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Oh yes, that's what we want. That's what we want now. That's what we strive for. But we strive for it only because we know that redemption has come in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him we give thanks, and to him we give the glory forever. Amen.
now United 